0: Will, please stand with me as we read God's Word together. I'm not going to read the entire passage, though we will cover the entire passage. I'm going to begin in Acts 15, starting in verse 5 and read through verse 21. Beloved, understand this, that when this Word is read and preached, God Himself is speaking to us. Acts 15, verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said it is necessary to circumcise them. That is, these people who have come to faith in Christ, who were Gentiles, or who come from outside of Israel. It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that is Simon Peter's name, Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree My judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. You may be seated. This is one of the most significant passages in the New Testament. What's going on here is called the Jerusalem Council, where this group of people get together and answer the question that is a, is posed to them in, in verse 5. I want to put before you this entire passage in four parts. I want you to imagine this council like a court. And what we have first is... Charges that are leveled. And then second, we have witnesses testify. And then third, we have a jury that deliberates. And then fourth and finally, we have a verdict that is delivered. Point number one comes from verses one through five. Look down there at the charge that is leveled. This is the reason why the court convenes that day. Last week in chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas was ended that chapter reporting to the church in Antioch all that they had accomplished over the the previous two years going out through Galatia. And they say, God has opened a door of faith for those to believe who are in the Gentiles. Listen, when they say those words, it is only natural for the Jewish people who are listening to remember what God said in Deuteronomy. This is the way things were in the Old Testament. God says to Israel, out of all the peoples in the world, you alone, Israel, are my people. All the other nations will not know me. If that were to remain true, we would not be here today. We could not know the Lord. And so naturally, this question arises that we just read in verse five. See how it, it even starts our passage in verse one. There are men who rise up and then they say, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. I'm going to be doing this several times today where I say, hang with me. And I'm going to explain to you things that, that happened in the, in the Old Testament that you need to understand if you're going to understand salvation. The question that they ask is based upon the idea that throughout the Bible, ever since Abraham, every single male among God's people, including those who would come from outside of the nation of Israel and, and wanted to follow the true God, they were circumcised. And that physical action illustrates this. I am cut off from the world, from other gods, from worthless religions, and I am devoted only to the one true God. I will serve Him. All of that was displayed and illustrated in circumcision. So, Dr. Luke is writing the book of Acts to a man named uh, Theo, we'll call him. And, and, he, and he's answering this question to a guy who did not was not born a Jew. Must you become a Jew... After coming to Christ. This is really important. It is no less than the question. What is necessary? For you to be saved. I want you to see that language in verse one. You cannot be saved. Unless and until. That's the question. Circumcision. Verse five, do you see this is about what must you do to be saved? It is necessary to circumcise and for them to obey the law of Moses. The question is, and I would ask you this. What actions must you perform if God is going to accept you after you die in heaven. Must you keep the Ten Commandments? Must you be baptized? Look in verse two how they respond to this question being posed. It says they had, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and no small debate. With them. I don't know if anyone here is not a Greek scholar. Let me interpret for you what it means to have no small debate over this question of what is necessary to be accepted by God. No small debate means a big old argument. And that is a signal to you and me that this really matters. Don't you? Need to know that you know that you know. Here's the question, and you should think about it. What proof do you look to that you are saved? That's the charge level that we have to obey circumcision or just this fuller idea of having to obey God's laws in order to be saved. But the second point comes in verses 6-21. through 21, And here, the witnesses testify. A council comes together in the city of Jerusalem. Everyone travels there. There's this holy jury, you can say. The elders of the first church of, 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 of Christ is, is there in Jerusalem. All the apostles are there. And if you know anything, if you've watched any movies uh, about uh, legal matters, the most consequential phase of any trial is this portion of the trial. And that's why we're going to spend the majority of our time in these verses. It's where the witnesses are examined. And what I want you to especially notice is what evidence... The star witnesses sway the jury with two kinds of evidence. Peter and Paul give the first kind. And it is what God has has done. And then the second kind we'll see from James. And that is what God said he would do. This is how they sway the jury and answer the question. Peter stands up. And he's talking about what happened in chapter 10. Whenever he visited Cornelius, who was that non-Jew, that centurion who came to faith in Christ. And Peter stands up and he says, God saved the Gentiles by grace. Look back in chapter 15 and verse 7. Peter stands up and says, brothers, You know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles, I was supposed to go to Cornelius so that Cornelius and his household would hear the word of the gospel and then believe. And then notice this in verse eight. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed. Their hearts by faith. And then look in verse 11 again. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. That everyone who is saved will only be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. As we go through the book of Acts. You should also know that these are the last words we'll hear from Peter. First half of the book, we're focused on his preaching. Now this is the last sermon. I want you to remember what he witnessed that day at Cornelius' house. When he preached to these people who he had been taught were unclean and could not be saved. The Holy Spirit, we're told, falls on them while they hear. And then they notice that they start speaking in tongues. Which was the sign in Acts chapter 2. That the Jews had been saved by God through Christ. Christ. So he had seen them receive the Holy Spirit and the evidence was the same for the Gentiles as it was for the Jews. Now, for you and me. We're right back to our question. And this is maybe the most important question of your life. What must you do? What actions do you need to perform in order to be saved? Well, let's look back at the text and look specifically for who is the actor. In other words, who is the one doing everything in verse eight? God, who knows the heart bore witness to them. God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit before they were uh, circumcised, without them being circumcised, based nothing upon what they had done. Verse 9, God made no distinction between us and them. He cleansed their hearts. We are saved, verse 11. We are saved. We're not the ones who act in order to get saved. We are the ones who get saved by someone else. So last Thursday night, we gathered together and we talked about that fourth stanza of that wonderful Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And we'll sing that song at the end of this, this time together. And we, we won't sing this, this verse again, but I want to remind you of this verse. Come, desire of nations, come, fix In us, thy humble home. That's what we want Christmas for. Come, desire of nations, come to us and fix in us your home. In the beginning, God lived. He had an address on earth and it was the same address as humanity's address. And then sin entered the world. Sin entered the world when Adam did not keep God's command. And what did God do? He evicted humanity. He cast them out of His presence. We were kicked out of His house. That's why it's the desire of the nations. If you want to know what the whole world should long for, From Christmas what should be on their wish the desire of all the nations is come God and we want you to do this not make my life better now but fix inside of me your home the original fixer-upper is the human race Incapable of God living with us. So someone has to come. That we might live with him. And so he says in verse 8. Peter says God proved. He stood up on the witness stand. And he proved that he saved the Gentiles. Without them obeying God's law. By giving the spirit. To live inside of them. Do you see that? This is about a home for God. Jesus makes a home in us. This is the good news of the gospel, beloved, that what we get in Christ is better than what Adam had with God. Adam lived with God. And Peter says... They've been saved, nothing more needs to be done for them to be saved because obviously God has come to cleanse their hearts so that He can live inside of them. You understand you don't just need pure, perfect, and you do, pure, perfect actions to be accepted by God. You need clean innards. You need a heart. That is completely cleansed, something that no one else sees, but God knows the heart. And God is going to make his home inside of his people. So Peter says they must not still need to be cut off from sin in circumcision. Because the spirit can only live in a heart where there is no sin. Therefore, nothing more is necessary. God himself has said that they must be. Saved already. I'm giving you some deep truth here. And I'm going to keep on going. Verse 9. says. Their hearts were cleansed. And then you've got this small word by. Faith. When a child. uh, Wants to show off something that could not be explained well. They will say this phrase. You're probably familiar with it. Look, Ma, no hands. Maybe he's riding a bike and he learns for the first time how to stay up on his bike without steering it. Look, Mom, no hands. When it comes to a clean heart, our hands have nothing to do with it. We cannot do anything none or all of our obedience cannot cleanse our hearts. And so he says our hearts were cleansed when we believed. You just have to believe. If you believe in Jesus, which is despairing of everything in yourself and depending totally on the Savior, when you just rely upon Christ, then... Your heart will be cleansed and God himself will come in and live with you. Peter says, God did this. He saved the Gentiles by grace. And then James steps up and he said, that's exactly what God said that he would do back in the prophets. Back in Amos, you see that's in In verses 16 and 17, there's these quotes from the book of Amos, chapter 9, where James steps up and says, it's not just what God did, it's what he said he would do. What actions do you need to perform? To be saved. That's the question James is answering. What do you have to do? Will you look at who the subject of all the verbs is in verses 16 and 17? I mean, the one who's doing all the action. Verse 17, everything that's being said here is said by the Lord. And what does he say? Verse 16, I will return. I will rebuild the house of David that has fallen. I, God says, I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it then the the remainder of mankind may seek the Lord who are called by my name. But it is the Lord who makes these things known from of old who makes it so. Again, let me explain this to you for the sake of your eternity. I want you to understand what he means in verse 16 about the house or the tent of David. It is a reference to the King in the Old Testament, David and all of his people, that's who his house is or his tent is. It's 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 the people who belong to David, the king. And and uh, God made this promise, I am going to build his house. And he made that promise whenever David was desiring for God to have a house, he said, I want you to come live here with us on earth. Let me build you a house. And God says, no, I'm going to build you a house and then both the houses are ruined the temple where god's his address here on earth was ruined david's line of kings they were ruined it says in the text why because god's people would not obey his commands so what is the penalty eviction he kicked them out of the house. I will rebuild the house. I will return. And he did in his son on Christmas. The baby who was born in the city of David came from the line of David's kings. And Luke is very careful in chapter 2 of his Gospel, to say, and he was circumcised. And then he's really careful to make sure in his earlier book, at the end of it, to make sure we hear the words from Jesus who has now died on the cross for sinners and been raised to save them. He then says, I came to fulfill everything Moses commanded. I wonder if you understand what that means. It doesn't mean that Dr. Luke is some, you know, anti-command guy. It means that he's preaching the good news of those who will just trust in Jesus Christ. And here it is. The commandments, like the Ten Commandments, like the commandments to to be circumcised, to show that you are devoted to God. The commandments that Moses called Israel to keep were always and only going to be fulfilled by one person in Israel. There is only one set of shoulders, to use the language of Peter, we were not able to bear this. There's only one set of shoulders that can bear the weight of perfect obedience to God. And so Jesus kept all the laws for us. And He was cut off to God. He was devoted to God in all of His life. He obeyed every command that you have not obeyed. And then He was cut off from God when He died on the cross and God was pouring out His wrath for our sins, not His own. On the cross, He died apart from God and then was raised as the Savior. Here's the good news. For your life and eternity, God's requirements that we must keep or God must kill us, those requirements were kept for us by a Savior. I was... I, I maybe I shouldn't do this. I may I, I may keep doing this, but night before a sermon, I shouldn't be watching Les Mis. And I did last night. Uh, and I, so I watched Les Mis and, and I'm watching. If you don't know the story, shame on you. After this, you should go watch. Les Mis. Um, there, there's this portion of the story where the main character, Jean Valjean, who who spent years in prison for stealing a, a loaf of bread. He's his heart is so bitter. Toward the world. He hates the world, and he's hated by the world. And he gives this this speech where he says, uh, take an eye for an eye. That is all I have lived for, and that is all I have known. Now that language is from Moses. In Moses' law, and God is teaching us something you gotta get. You obey him perfectly. And and the moment you don't, if your eye looked with lust at someone, the right response is to pluck out your eye. If your teeth speak, if you speak lies to your teeth, we should knock your teeth out. The punishment needs to perfectly fit the crime because God is completely holy. And Jean Valjean is standing there and he said, this is all I've known. This is all I've lived for is that kind of world. And I cannot keep it. I am wicked and the world is wicked. Is there any hope for me? And a priest comes to him and says, you can be called by God's name. And he tells him about the passion and the blood of the Son of God who died and suffered on the cross for sinners. And then he believes. God's law is absolutely necessary to be obeyed. And his punishment will be absolutely perfect. And Jesus saves. By his works, not our works. Here's the point of the whole passage. Jesus saves not just a small group of people, but the world represented by the nations. He saves the world by his works and not our works. That is good news. If you will be saved, it will only be in the words of Peter in verse 11 by grace. It will only be by the gift of God. And it is available to you no matter how wicked your works have been no matter how wicked you have been, you can have David. You can have God's king. You can have a champion who gives you His works and takes your works. Who died on the cross and you get His record. You can have God as your Father. And in the words of Jean Valjean, a new story will begin. Would you believe in it? That's it. It's just believing in Him. And forsaking all of your works, good and bad. And trusting totally in Christ alone. Would you do it? In verses 19-21, through 21, James, who is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, who is the brother of Jesus, he gives his closing argument. Look there in verses 19 through 21. We have to see the irony in what he's saying. We've got to deal with it. He says, this is my judgment. Do not trouble these new believers. Don't trouble them. By by trying to make them obey Moses' laws, we've not been able to keep it. Only Jesus can keep it. Don't trouble them with that. But do tell them to abstain from the things that Moses told them to abstain from. Now, there's an irony there. They don't have to obey Moses, but make sure they abstain from the things that Moses says to abstain from. When I was something like 10 years old, we uh, I got my for the first time we moved into a new house. And for the first time, I had my own room and I was an obnoxious child. Um, And I hope no one's thinking you're still obnoxious, Ryan, Um, but. I was an obnoxious little child and I was so excited about having my first room to myself that I came up with a list of rules for anyone who walked into my room. And I put this list on the outside for my cousins because they were coming by later that day. And I said, rule number one, if you see a bug, kill it and get it out my room. Rule number two, take your shoes off before you come into my room. I'm not trying to keep this dirty. And there were punishments for every rule that was broken push-ups a certain amount of push-ups if you didn't do it james says this is what we're going to do we're going to send out a letter everywhere notice that moses is preached why why do that because we don't want whenever moses's law is given we don't want those people who are christians to believe they have to be circumcised the way that moses says but we do want them to believe when Moses tells them they can't serve idols anymore. And all of these four suggestions that James makes are about idolatry. It comes from Leviticus, where sexual immorality, having sex with someone who's not your spouse, was something that people in other nations and with other gods, thought would promote their holiness. And he says, don't do anything that the pagans do. And they would eat blood. And God said in his law in Leviticus and in Genesis, the blood's for me. It's not for you. The blood represents their life. And they owe me their life because of their sin. The blood is to atone. So don't don't eat anything that's been strangled and their blood is not drained, because that's what the pagans do. So send them a letter that makes clear how you get saved, but also let them know that when they are saved, they must never go back to idolatry. Let me put it another way. This whole council in Acts chapter 15 is answering the question, how do I get into God's family? And the answer is utterly clear. It is by faith in Christ's works, not in your works. But the letter from James is also supposed to say, not just how do I get into God's family, but how should I live once I'm I'm inside his house? And you could summarize these four things with one rule. Check your chains at the door. You're a slave no more. You follow God alone. Don't offend God in Christ by trying to earn your way by obeying the law. And do not bring any false gods in anymore. Jesus saves the world by his works, not ours. Third point I'm going to make quickly we see the jury deliberating after the witnesses have given their testimony. In verses 22 through 29. Uh, I want you to see just in a few verses. Look in verse 22. After, after James and Peter make their uh, testimonies, it says in verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. And then look also in verse 25, the same kind of language. In the letter, they're going to say it has seemed good to us, not just to Peter, not just to James. And then in verse 28, it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's the decision that they're going to pass on, which came from James. All this just to say that when James gives his judgment of what should be done, it still requires the church to agree to it. James, in other words, as an apostle, is not acting with a final say, like he's the judge who's ratifying the jury's decision. No, no. What he's saying in verses 19 through 21 is, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this is what I think you should do. But the decision is yours. And so if I can just say this to Redeemer Church, perhaps this. Wherever the congregation has authority, the elders have leadership. James, the pastor, leads them, but the congregation has the authority. And all of it needs to be based upon the Holy Spirit, it says. And that happens when we rely upon his word. The jury deliberates and they basically send out James's decision. But then point number four comes in verses 30 through uh, 35, where the letter is actually sent out to all the Gentiles who have believed from the ministry of Paul. And they gather together. And remember, it said that they had been troubled. Their hearts had been troubled. They thought, am I not saved yet just from Christ? Do I have to also obey? But verse 31, when they read the letter, they were encouraged by it. Fix in us your humble home. Fix. Fasten. God, we want you to move inside of our hearts and never to move out again. We want you to never evict us. We want you to come in such a way that we never are cast out of your presence and that it would not be based upon anything in us at all or we will be kicked out. If you want a Merry Christmas if you want a merry life do not celebrate food or gifts or family celebrate christmas god with us for god in us listen With God in, and not just with, any possibility of eviction is out. If He has cleansed our hearts and given us the Holy Spirit and He's moved in, there's no way He's kicking us out. Christ has fixed God's home in us. Moses can't give us anything more. Let me give you a warning. From verse 10, look at what Peter says. Listen to me. This will be a, a battle for the rest of your life, as it is in mine. If you try to base your confidence before God, if you're looking for proof in you and your obedience, listen to what Peter says. You are putting God to the test. That doesn't sound too bad unless you've read when Peter said those words earlier in Acts chapter 5. It was the last words that Sapphira heard. You have put God to the test and now the men are going to carry your dead body out of here. In other words, not only is lying to God deadly dangerous, but the same goes for resting your eternity upon you. Your works... Your obedience to baptism. Your sacrificial love for God's people. Your service to God's people in the church. Your caring for orphans. All great things. Your, your growth in godliness. None of it enables God to accept you. Those works prove God has already accepted and changed you. The verdict is delivered to all the world in Antioch and beyond, and now here in Young County. And the verdict is, it's done. It is finished. You have no more works to do. Trust in Christ alone. Beloved, do not let your weak works trouble you. But quiet your with Christ's works for you. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. There is so much here. We have considered the most important things in the world. And Lord, we pray that everyone here would turn not only from selfishness, but, but that that would include thinking that they can earn their way to you in any way. God, remove it all. And help us to be people who lean upon Christ alone. We thank you that Jesus saves the world by his works and not ours. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen.